turn to 1 Timothy 6. We're doing two weeks uh, in this book leading up to Thanksgiving, and then we're going to be in the book of Malachi uh, leading up to Christmas, and then we'll get back into our series on Mark when January starts again. But in 1 Timothy 6, last week we were talking and confronted about our discontentment. And we were challenged to look at all these things that we are prone to grab onto and hold onto, thinking that in them we're going to have security and satisfaction. And, and last week talked a lot about danger. The truth was we found that a lot of these material things that we, we think will give us what we're longing for, we try to hold on to them, and it just doesn't work out very well. And in fact, it said the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It leads us into a, a snare or a trap, uh, and it even plunges people into ruin and destruction and causes some to wander away from the faith. And so there was a lot of warning about danger last week, and that's good for us to hear, especially in the culture that we live in. If you haven't started already, you're going to be getting this week. Uh, you don't ask for them. They'll just come to you advertisements in the mail, in your email inbox. Like, they want you to just spend a lot of money in the next week, right? And, and their goal, of course, is to get you to feel like I'm not going to be content unless I get this. And so they're going to give me this great deal. I must go get this. And so that's just kind of the way it works in our culture at this time. But last week we mentioned that really what we are is we're a lot of times like a fish who sees a worm and says to himself, I'm going to go get me some worm, not realizing that that worm is on a hook. And we forget to see the danger that comes with a lot of the things that the world offers to us. The title for today's sermon is Letting Go and Getting a Grip. We're going to continue on in 1 Timothy 6, looking at verses 11 through 19 this morning. I'll tell you the story, though, to begin before we read that. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, uh, I spent eight summers going to... Uh, Two weeks of camp, one week of camp with our high school students and one week of camp with our middle school students. And at one of the camps that we went to, they had a, a high ropes challenge course. There was a number of different things that you'd get strapped into a safety harness and go um, challenge yourself to do. And one of those things, there's going to be a picture on the screen actually so you can see, um, that's, that's me. What I had done was uh, gotten on all this safety equipment, you put on a helmet, you get on this harness stuff, and you climb an old telephone pole. And so you climb this, this power pole, there's these little U-shaped spikes, maybe you can see those. And so actually, the climbing of the pole was pretty easy. I could always have my hand, each hand was holding on to something, and each foot was standing on something. And it was really easy until you get to the top. And the goal of this is not just to get to the top and come back down, that would be a pretty lame kind of challenge. The goal is that there is a ways away from the top of this power pole, there is this high-flying trapeze bar that you're supposed to grab onto and swing on so you can have this thrill of swinging higher in the air than you've ever swung before. But in order to do that, here's what's required. You get to the top, and so here I am. Uh, my hand here is on the top spike. My hand here is on the second from the top spike, and my feet are on the next two. But then the challenge comes. You cannot grab that trapeze bar from there. You have to actually be standing on the top of the power pole, and then they make it even more challenging because the, the spikes have you go up there in such a way that when you get to the top, your back is to the trapeze bar. So you actually have to turn yourself around on the top of the power pole. Okay, And so, so you get up there, and I'm at this spot where the next thing I need to do is I need to let go. Like if I'm going to grab onto that bar, I need to 
let go of these spikes that have been my safety the whole way up, right? And so I go ahead and do that. With one hand, it's not that bad. So left hand first, take it, put it on the top of the power pole, right hand, top of the power pole, and then I move my one foot up. So it's on the second, or maybe with my right foot, whatever, uh, on the second to the last spike, right? And then you get to this really awkward position where your hands are still up there and your feet are on the top two spikes. So you kind of got your butt sticking out and you're really high up in the air. And I saw so many people um, do this before I did it. And I was just trying to be the encouraging youth pastor down on the ground, you know, as all these middle school girls would get that far and then they'd just freak out uh, and, and do these little shrieky things. And we just say, no, it's okay. You're going to be fine. You can do it. Come on. Keep. And now I'm here and I'm feeling like a, shrieky junior high girl, right? And so I'm, I'm wondering if I can actually do this. And now there's not enough room. I have size 13 feet, and there's not enough room for two of my feet and two of my hands on the top of this power pole. And so what I have to do in order to stand on it is I have to take, well, I think I could fit three. I, couldn't, I can't remember exactly, but, but I had to at some point to get my feet up on there, I had to let go with my hands, hold on to nothing, right? Nothing at all. And so, so I got up there, but I wanted to. Like, I, wa- I saw that bar, and I saw a couple people do this and swing on that thing. I'm like, I want to swing there. That's what I want. I don't want to stand on a wobbly old power pole. I want to swing there. What we're going to talk about this morning is the fact that we need to let go of our little wobbly power poles in order that we might grab onto something uh, much more. Do you want to know how it ended? Um, that looks really... Uh, that looks really cool. Like, oh, look at Jeremy's jumping off and he's going to grab the bar. That's me falling off the back. That's what happened there, actually. Um, I didn't even get turned around. I got up there and I, like, was shaky and you can feel the pole moving. And then I just, like, Mah! and then I just, that was it. Um, and so, so that was it. First Timothy chapter 6, though, verses 6 through 10, warned us about the dangers of the wobbly power pole. But today, in verses 11 through 19, we're going to really talk about the joys of holding on to that bar. Okay, so let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 11. And if you're able to, let's stand as we read God's word this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of of the eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only Sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen nor can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You can be seated. 
You'll notice the uh, outline in the bulletin is maybe a little different than normal. I'm going to go through this verse by verse. You can follow along that way. But I just have two categories, not really two points, but two categories in the outline. You're going to hear a number of things this morning in this passage, maybe you even heard it as I read them, that we need to be sure that we let go of. And then a number of things that we need to take hold of instead. Letting go and getting a grip, both, is what we're going to talk about this morning. So we'll start in verse 11. In verse 11, it says, But as for you, O man of God... See, Paul is setting up this contrast. He's almost at the end of this letter that he's written. And as he nears the end of the letter, he's talked a lot about the false teachers and the false teaching that are infiltrating the church at Ephesus, where Timothy's pastoring. And he's saying to Timothy... Here's what they're about. Here's what they're doing. And he's done this a number of times already in the book. And now he says, but, but you, Timothy, but as for you, Timothy, you're different. Why is he different? Oh, man of God, he calls him. Now, this would have been maybe the the highest compliment that Paul ever gave to his little understudy, Timothy calling him man of God. That was a word that was used for people like Moses and Samuel. And Paul is calling Timothy man of God. He's saying, Timothy, you're different. Because something's different about you, you're going to be different than the rest of the world. What everybody else is into, you're not going to be into that. One of my mom's favorite sayings for us um, was we would tell her about something that happened at school um, or, you know, something, something, something that somebody had done. And my mom, uh, one of her favorite responses was, you kids don't do that. Kind of like putting us in, kind of like everybody else is doing that, but she'd look at us and say, you kids don't do that, right? And that's kind of what Paul is saying here to Timothy. You've seen all this stuff out in the world and in the church, but you, you're a man of God, and so you're going to do something differently. And what is it? Well, he's going to let go of something. He says, but you, man of God, flee these things. Flee. Well, first of all, what's the these things? What's the these things that he's referring to? Well, it would seem in the context that it's the stuff that we were talking about last week. This, this love of money, this, this discontentment that, that says, I don't have enough, that I'm going to do what I do so that I can get more, right? And he says, flee these things. And he says, flee. Not, he doesn't say, he doesn't say like, well, think about these things, consider them, decide if you really, like, flee. He's like, run away, like a skinny kid from a bully in an empty hallway. Just get out, right? You've got to go now. Flee these things. And your these things, I mean, as you're thinking how to apply this to yourself, I don't know what your these things are, but what are these things? What are the things in your life that you think, well, if I just had this, then I would be happy and satisfied and content and everything would be fine if I just had this. What are these things that you're holding on to? Think about that for a moment. It's going to help you apply the rest of the sermon. What are, what are these things in your life? What are these things that you hold on to that you think, well, this is what's giving me security and peace? You might even want to write that in your bulletin on that section under what do I need to let go of? What do you struggle to let go of? What would be really hard for you to, like, what, what gives you so much identity and peace? It would be really hard to let go of it. So he says, flee these things to Timothy. And then he says, pursue. Pursue, take hold of, go after 
Don't just run away from something. Run to something. And here's what you're going to run to. He's got a list. Righteousness. Okay? And what's righteousness? Right living. Okay? Living with purity and integrity. Just pursue that. Pursue another thing he says, godliness. Last week we talked about the fact that godliness is, is really basically reverence plus obedience. Reverence for who God is plus obedience. That's, that's godliness. He says pursue that. Pursue faith, which is a trust or confidence in God. Pursue love, which is, which is uh, showing itself, I guess, in, in doing something for other people that costs you something. Love steadfastness, okay, Timothy, in the midst of all this that's, that's going on around you, would you, Timothy, be steadfast? Would you remain true? Would you hold on? Would you persevere? And then the last one is gentleness. Pursue gentleness. Pursue gent- But then, if you look at verse 12, interesting that the last word in verse 11 is gentleness, and the first word in verse 12 is fight. <laughs> huh? Fight gently, uh, pursue gentleness, and fight the good fight of the faith, right? So pursue gentleness. You kind of get this idea of like meekness and mildness, right? Pursue gentleness and fight the good fight of the faith, okay? Now, initially when I read that, I've, I've read it before, just fight the good fight of faith. Like faith is hard and you need to fight to have faith. That's not what it says, though. It says fight the good fight of the faith. What he's talking about is just the, the, the whole of the Christian doctrine, the whole of Christian beliefs, fight for that. Stand up for that. In the midst of all this false teaching, Timothy, fight the good fight. It's, uh, it's hard. This, the, all these false teachings and these false teachers that you're prone to believe and that all your people are prone to believe, he says, stand up against that. You've got to fight it. Fight the good fight. And it's a good fight. It's a, it's a fight worth fighting, but fight it. Fight the good fight of the faith, he says. And then we need to know how. How are you going to do that? How do you fight this good fight? And the rest of verse 12 tells us that. How do you fight the good fight of the faith? Look at verse 12. Fight the faith. Take hold. This is the first time we're going to see this. Take hold. Get a grip. Of what? Of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So how do we fight the good fight of the faith? It has something to do with remembering what God has done, to taking hold of the eternal life that He has won for us, to which we were called. He called us to eternal life, and we need to remember that. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You might remember, I remember when I was baptized and stood before people and and shared with them here is God's saving work in my life. He says, remember that, Timothy. You remember that? Remember that. Now, if you're not a Christian, there's really nothing to remember there. And I just, just need to, i got to acknowledge that probably every Sunday as we gather together, there's people here that are not believers. If you're not a believer, I want you to examine today, what are you holding on to? What is it in your life that you are gripping and saying, this is where, I cannot let go of this because this is where I find my identity. This, this, is, this is my life. In biblical terms, that would be called an idol. And idolatry is, is sin. And, and sin causes us separation from God and, and to be under His just wrath. So if you're 
you're not a Christian, I want you to examine what it is that you're holding on to. Maybe today is the day where you start to realize that's just some wobbly old power pole. That's not going to, that's not going to satisfy, right? And that, that, that today maybe is the day where you acknowledge that idolatry as sin before a holy God, knowing that you deserve His punishment in hell, but instead of receiving that, that you desire to let go of that and to not allow that to master you anymore, but that you want from this point on Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord, your Master. That's what it takes to become a Christian. You just repent of sin and trust in Christ. I encourage you to do that today. But it's scary to let go of stuff that we've been holding on to. Students, those of you, I'm thinking especially those of you in like middle school, high school, college, um, it's hard when you look at the people around you and all the things that they're grabbing onto, all these little U-shaped spikes, and it looks like it's working, right? It, for, for most of the people, maybe it looks like, like they're holding on to this, and it seems like, it seems like it's, it's working. Like they're, they're seeking after, um, you know, just success in a number of different things and populating it, and it seems like they're getting it. And you kind of, you can have this tendency to just say, well, if I just wore what they were wearing, if I could just perform like they're performing, if, then maybe I'd be okay. And it's tempting. And I'll just encourage you, if you've been saved, then remember. Remember this eternal life that God has called you to. So that, that allows you to let go of that stuff and to hold on to, to hey, take hold of the eternal life to which you've been called. Verses 13 and 14. Let's go ahead and, and move forward. Now we're going to get a command, but it's a command that's surrounded by God's work and God's promises. Verse 13. So he starts the command, but he doesn't even finish it till verse 14. He says, I charge you. Okay, so he's giving him a charge. Here's your, here's your marching orders, Timothy. As you fight the good fight of the faith, here's your mission. I charge you. But then he gives all sorts of promises in there. That's the way God's commands often are. A lot of promises. I charge you in the presence of God. A reminder, Timothy, that, that God is present with you as I give you this command. Who gives life to all things. Remember, Timothy, that, that it's not just any God. It is the God who gives life to all things. He's with you, Timothy. You need to know that as you're trying to lead this church where there's a lot of junk going on, Timothy. And of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. What's that talking about? I wrote in my margin of my Bible, you might want to write it there too, John 18, 37. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's re- probably referring Timothy to. In John 18, 37, there is Jesus standing before Pilate, and Pilate said to him, So you are a king? And Jesus answered, this is Jesus' confession to Pilate, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So, so Paul's about to give Timothy a command, but that command comes in light of the fact that God is present, that it's not just any, it is the God who created all things, and it is Jesus who is the one who stood before Pilate, confessing himself to be king, and the one who came to bear witness to the truth. And in light of all that, we finally get to the command in verse 14. Verse 14, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So the command is, the charge from Paul to Timothy is, keep the commandment. Well, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> right? I mean, so I charge you, and then it's all this, all this language around, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who may, like, keep the commandment. What commandment? What are you talking about? Right? And, and people have, have gone back and forth, like, trying to say, well, what is this commandment that he's talking about? In context, it seems like it's probably the commandment that Paul has given to Timothy throughout the whole book, and that is to remain steadfast, to be committed to the faith in the midst of all sorts of false teaching going on around him, right? Keep that commandment. Do your duty, Timothy. Watch your life and doctrine closely, okay? So he says, keep on in that. Press on, Timothy. I want you to keep going. And for how long? You always want to know how long. Like, if you've got to fight, you want to know, like, even, even if you watch, like, boxing or, or, or wrestling or any kind of fight kind of thing, mixed martial arts stuff, right, there's, there's a certain period of time that you know, I can't do this forever, right? I can't, I can't last forever. So, like, it's a two-minute period. I can last for that. Or it's a whatever-minute round. Fight the good fight of the faith. And how long is he fighting? Until when, it says at the end of verse 14 until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the general is coming, and he's going to bring victory with him, and that gives the troops all sorts of hope, doesn't it? As we fight, seek to fight the good fight of the faith, we know that in the end we win, and the general's coming, and he's bringing total and complete victory with him, and that gives us the courage to keep fighting. But before we move on to verses 15 and 16, I want us to be sure, and this is hard because we've just gone through 1 Timothy 6. We didn't go through 1 through 5. But I want us to feel the weight that Timothy must be feeling at this point. Because I think that's going to help us to understand verses 15 and 16 better. You, I want you to understand the weight that Timothy is feeling. Listen to what Timothy has heard so far. Remember, Timothy, just a young pastor. And Paul was there with him for a while. And then Paul left. And so now he's kind of here alone, feeling probably alone. And, and it's not a perfect church situation. And so Paul writes him this letter. He's already feeling this heaviness. And then he gets a letter from his mentor. And here's what his mentor tells him. He tells him in chapter 1, Hey, there's a lot of false teachers out there, Timothy. Don't let them teach. Timothy's, okay, I'll, I'll try to do something about that. Chapter 2, Timothy, you've got to pray a lot, Timothy. Okay, I've got to pray a lot. I'll try, I'll try and do that. Hey, Timothy, chapter 3, you can't do this by yourself. Get some men to come alongside you. But... I'm going to give you a list of qualifications. Timothy's like, well, that narrows it down quite a bit. Uh, so get some elders and deacons to come and serve alongside you, he tells them in chapter 3. Chapter 4, Timothy, you need to keep watching your life and your doctrine closely. Chapter 5, Timothy, don't believe the lies and don't let your people believe the lies. Chapter 6, Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. You feel the weight that this young pastor must be feeling on his shoulders? Like, oh, God, in the midst of this church and this culture that I'm living in, this is heavy. This is heavy kind of stuff. And maybe you feel await something like that living in this world where we're hearing and tempted to believe false teaching all the time, particularly about what we talked about last week, about material things. How do we, how do we stand up? How do we fight the good fight of the faith in that? This is heavy. What's Paul going to give Timothy that's going to give him the courage to keep on fighting in the faith? That's verses 15 and 16. And I think what it's going to do, I think what Paul is trying to do with Timothy is he's trying to say, Timothy, 
Here's what I'm going to do with you. I'm going to close by just telling you how great God is. So that as you feel all that weight on your shoulders, everything that you're carrying around, I'm going to tell you about how great God is so that you, as you bow down to worship Him, you feel all that weight just slipping right off your shoulders as you just admire God and all of His greatness. And look at verses 15 and 16. Again, referring to the appearing of our Lord Jesus, it says, verse 15, He will display this at the proper time, and then we just get this, He who is. Here's what we need. In the midst of difficulty and challenge and hardship and feeling a big weight on our shoulders and standing up against the the lies that the world is teaching to us, that we're tempted to believe and we often, often do believe, how do we stand up against that? We need to know the God who is what? Listen to this. This is beautiful. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Paul tells Timothy, hey, we have a God who is supreme over everything. Is there a king out there? Guess who's the king of that king? Jesus. Is there a president who seems to have a lot of power? Guess who presides over that president? It's the Lord of lords. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the blessed and only sovereign. God's rule is not a democracy. He is the blessed and only sovereign. He is the ruler, Timothy. Do you know this? The power and influence of ancient Rome are like a drop in the bucket compared to the power and influence, the sovereign power of our God. The might of the United States military is laughable when compared with the might of our Almighty God. Timothy's looking at all that's kind of coming up against him, and it looks formidable. It looks very intimidating. It feels very weighty. But Paul says to Timothy, look at our God. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality. And he's not dependent on anything else for life. He's always existed. Who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. He's just lifting up God in all of His glory and splendor and saying, Timothy, look at that. And what is the proper response to that? To Him be honor and eternal dominion forever. Amen. Worship. Timothy, that's what you need to do. When you're feeling that weight, when you're being bombarded with false teaching, the the response that you have to that, Timothy, just worship. And it seems like the end of the letter, doesn't it? I mean, he says amen. That's when we're done praying, right? Should be the end of the letter. But it's like Paul gets done with the letter and then, inspired by the Holy Spirit, goes back and looks over it and then realizes that even maybe, you know, what we talked about last week in verses 6 through 10, the danger we talked about there, he doesn't really say, what do we do with that? This the fact that some people do have a lot, and the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, but what are we supposed to do if we have a lot of money? And so Paul wants to address that before he's done, and so he does that in verse 17. And that's where we'll end today, in verses 17 through 19. A few more things to let go of and to get a grip on. He says this, look at verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, and if you're wondering if this applies to you, The answer is yeah. Did you eat food yesterday at some point? Did you sleep in a home last night? Did you arrive here in a vehicle this morning? Then you are among the rich in this present age. Okay, this is us. So this charge from Paul to Timothy 
to, to share with his church is, is applicable directly to us as well, because we are the rich. So I want you to hear this. Don't, don't let this slide by. As for the rich in this present age, charge them. One, here's something to let go of. Not to be haughty. Let go of haughtiness. Um, I don't know what your translation might say. It might say high-mindedness or, or conceit. The thing is, especially in our culture, where we value wealth so much, that if people arrive, right? Like if they get what they've been chasing after, those are the people that often seem to be kind of conceited and high-minded uh, and, and haughty. Because that's what our world says is valuable, and they made it. So they must be valuable, and they act like they're valuable, right? It says don't do that. And then, not to be haughty. And then it says, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Do we, do we, I don't know if we get that. I, I think if you, if you lived through the 1920s and then the 1930s, you might get that. that. That there is an uncertainty in riches. Right? Somebody who lived through the thriving of the 1920s and then through the depression of the 1930s, they understand the uncertainty of riches. Maybe a guy who lived through the recession in 2008 was making six figures and is now working at a minimum, minimum wage job. He might get it a little bit too, Right? But I don't really think many of us understand the uncertainty of riches. We just assume it's always going to be there. And so it's, it's a nice little U-shaped spike. Like I'm climbing my wobbly pole, and I just knew there was going to be another one. Right? There's going to be something. We're always going to have something to grab onto. We don't know much about the uncertainty of riches. So we think they're a lot more certain than they are. You ever seen one of those? I remember having one of these toys, and I was going to grab one, and I couldn't find one anywhere. Um, it's like a little tube, and it's got some, like, gel kind of water stuff in it. You try and grab it, and it keeps slipping out of your hands. You know what I'm talking about, those things? You try and grab it, and you try and t- it doesn't matter what you do. It, like, it's always slipping, and you've got to grab it like that. That's the idea I get in my mind when Paul's talking about the uncertainty of riches. That, 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 that you try and grab on, you try and get a hold of it, but it just keeps slipping. I just can't get it, right? That's kind of the idea, I think, here. So what's the, what's the remedy? How do you hold on to a little water snake kind of thing? You need to grab onto something, right? I mean, I wasn't going to, I had to grab onto, like, I had to let go of these little U-shaped spikes and get to the top of the wobbly, but I wanted to grab onto something else. I, I needed to exchange this cert- uncertain, my, my hope in the uncertainty of riches for a hope in something else. Now, last week I tried quoting a couple of uh, rap lyrics and I totally messed it up, so I'm trying again this week with a new one. Okay, um, that uh, that I really like just kind of this image in my mind, and I think he wrote this after reading First Timothy six. We talked about the danger of the love of money, and as we chase after this love of money, right, we can even wander away from the faith. And so Trip Lee says, "I pray that I never fall away by chasing after pocket change. I used to put my stock in riches, but now I've had a stock exchange." Okay? I like that. I like that picture that I put, like, uh, did you hear it? Pray I never fall away from chasing after pocket change. I used to put my stock in riches, but now I've had a stock exchange. Yeah, you get it, like, I used, to, I used to be holding on to something, and it was riches. But I had a, a stock exchange. I don't hold on to that anymore, because I see it's very uncertain. And so what do I hold on to instead? Look at verse 17, it continues. Not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on 
God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. What do we hold on to? We hold on to God. Like, uh, here, here's the danger. You can hear a sermon like I preached last week. You can read a book like Radical by David Platt. You can go on a trip to Haiti and see extreme poverty. And you can come back just feeling really guilty. Right? And you can, you can begin to have this false idea in your mind that all material things are evil. And you feel bad for even owning things. That's, that's a false teaching. And it's addressed even in 1 Timothy here. If you look back at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. There were people, here's what some false teachers were teaching. Verse 3, people who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. Right? This is a good, good verse for this week, right? That, that if God has given you a house... You don't have to feel guilty about owning a house. Enjoy the house. Use the house that God has given you. If God's given you a good job, work hard at it. Right? If if you are getting together with family this week, and you're going to have a feast with a lot of food, enjoy the food and thank God for it. It's a gift from Him. Things are not evil. The danger comes when we turn these good things into God things and they become idols. And rather than, than, than mastering them, we allow them to master us. And so what is the remedy to that? Look at the verse uh, 18. Yeah, verse 18. Here's what we are to do. Here's what to hold on to instead. Get a grip on this. They are to do good, to be rich in good works. Do good, to be rich in good works. One of the ways that you battle this selfishness and this, this idea that like, oh, I don't have everything I need. I need more in some way. One of the ways that you battle that is you just do stuff for other people that doesn't benefit you in any other way. Right? You, you find a way to be obedient to God in such a way that it costs you something and it benefits other people. Maybe you just go visit somebody who's sick or lonely, even though you only have about this much time on the weekend, right? But maybe it's just, I'm going to do it. It makes me uncomfortable. I'm not sure that I'm going to know what to say, but I know I need to do this. I'm going to be rich in good works. And then, the rest of verse 18 says this. Here's the other thing we are to do, to be generous and ready to share. This is, this is hard. And it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, right? We talked about last week that the natural way for us to battle discontentment, like if if you've got this feeling, which we all have, lurking in us somewhere, this little hungry stomach that that has these worms looking so good to us, we've got this feeling like, I don't quite have enough, this feeling of discontentment. We talked about last week that you cannot battle that by getting more stuff because it doesn't work, right? That discontentment is not battled and, and fought against by getting more stuff. That's not how you battle discontentment. How do you, how do you deal with this, this heart attitude that says, I don't have enough. I need more. How do you battle that? Well, it's kind of counterintuitive. You give it away. If you feel like you don't have enough, like you just want more, 
that you're tempted to just want more and more all the time, then you don't need to do what you know what you need to do with what you have. Give it away. That's what it says here. Let go of it. Be generous and ready to share. If you're struggling with discontentment, God's answer is not, well, just get a couple more things and I'm sure you'll be fine. God's answer is, look at what you got and give it away. Share it with other people, right? That's a good thing to hear. It's not a fun thing to hear. It's one of those things like we were talking about in Sunday school. It kind of appears that it hurts. What? I don't know if I, I, don't know if I want to do that. And that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, right? So give it away. You know, I don't know, I don't know what that means for you. Maybe it means you need to look into sponsoring a child. Compassion's a great organization. The e Free Church now has one called Global Fingerprints. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to write a big fat check to Iowa Falls Evangelical Free Church. I, I don't know. But be generous. Maybe you need to leave a $25 tip to a waitress who maybe doesn't even deserve a $25 tip. But you don't deserve God's grace either, and he gave it to you, right? Be generous and ready to share. That ought to be what characterizes. We're stingy. We, not, we shouldn't be stingy. God hasn't been stingy with us. Look at all he's given us. We ought to be the people that, that epitomized just generosity and readiness to just share with other people. Not, not holding on to it like we somehow find our security in this, but letting go of it because it's just a U-shaped spike on a wobbly telephone pole. And what we really want and what we have offered to us is the joy of swinging high on a high-flying trapeze bar. And then it ends with this thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. We talked about that last week. Verse 7 said, you came into the world with nothing. You're going to leave with nothing, right? So the idea is store up treasures in heaven, not on earth, right? You might have earthly treasures, and they're back. You know, like we think we're secure, again, in our riches. So like you go to the bank, and they got the little, the little plaque there that says it's like you're protected by the FDIC, right? And that gives us some sort of confidence. Like my money is protected by the FDIC, um, and here it says that's, that's not very well protected. Store up treasures in heaven. They're, they're much more better protected up there. They're, they're protected not by the FDIC. I don't even know what that stands for. But they're protected by the, the faithfulness and the dependability and the infinite riches of Christ. That's the new and better FDIC, right? The faithfulness, dependability, and infinite riches of Christ. That's what, that's what, that's what holds on to our heavenly treasure for us. And that's secure. And so that we can hold on to. And then the last part, talking about taking hold again. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. There's a lot of stuff we need to let go of. The Christian life is really counterintuitive. You remember Jesus' words from Matthew 16, where Jesus says this, Whoever wishes to save his life, what are you going to do? If you want to save your life, you want to save something, like, well, then you've got to hold on to it, keep it. Then lose it, Jesus said. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's, it's a strange thing to live life as a Christian. We find life by losing life. We are saved by dying to self, right? We get a grip on true life by letting go of what others might call the good life. We find contentment not by getting more stuff, but by giving our stuff away. It's not very natural, and so we need the Spirit's help in this. We need to ask 
the Spirit to come and help us believe that this is true, that He truly is better than anything else, so that we are willing to, to step by step just let go of some of those things so that we might grab on to the one who came to take hold of us.